Hour number two of Canuck Central. We are presented by, in hour two, Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned VC company helping local business since 1892. Can we start that again? I don't know what was wrong. It was just, it just didn't, didn't go all that well. Yeah? All right, three, two, one. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. All right. That was much better. I just didn't like the first run, guys. Like, I don't know. I was like burping while I was talking. It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I was like, what's going on here? You know, it's funny when you first start working in radio, that's like the the first question everybody starts to ask you. Like, do you ever have to sneeze? Like, what do you do? I turn off my mic and sneeze. <laughs> what about if you have to cough? That's what we call or a burp. cough. That's why we have a cough button. <laughs> yes. I, I've had um I've I've had some <clears throat> uh moments like that on air before. Yeah. Where, you know, you you're about to have a fit. Yep. And you're trying your best to keep it together. <laughs> You get the and tickle. You, you get, get the, the tickle, tickle in your throat, and then your tears start coming out because, like, you know, you're you're trying to hold it so much, you're sweating, and like tears are like coming down your eyes because you're doing the best you can to suppress. Yeah, you're trying cough. to drink water to uh, make it go away. It's just like nothing's working. Now, if you have a co-host, it's okay, unless your co-host is a is an yeah. ass and just like <laughs> just throws you in anger and keeps throwing it at you. But if you're alone, that's when you're like, man. You can't even go to break. Yeah, it's rough. It's uh, not not a good not a good situation. Uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We are Canuck Central. We're now welcoming into the conversation uh, former AGM with the Vancouver Canucks. Now with uh, Daily Faceoff, it is Chris Gear. Thanks for this, Chris. Uh, you, were, I, I know you like us were marveling at at Steph Curry last night. Pretty incredible what what we saw, eh? Yeah, not only last night, but just what he's been able to do with his career now. With- you know, four championships, two MVPs, uh, now a finals MVP. He's an incredible player. It's, it was pretty neat to see, you know, him and Clay Thompson coming back from injury and Draymond, that, that threesome or trio, um, you know, just w- working with a completely rebuilt Warriors team from what they won their earlier championships with. I thought that was fantastic. Well, it's it's funny. In today's day and age, it seems like the the first reaction of a lot of people is, well, okay, it's not working. We got to break it all down and, and rebuild. Um, but the Warriors, like, they, they rebuilt the team, but around their core still of Curry, Thompson, and, and Draymond Green. It's uh, kind of flies in the face of, of, you know, you have to tank to get back to where you need to go. Yeah, I guess they call that a retool, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I believe so. Uh, Chris Gear joining us uh, here on uh, on Canuck Central. It's uh, it's it's a wild off season coming up, as we know, and I know you've been doing a lot of work on it uh, with with daily faceoff. But you know we've been doing a lot of draft previews and, and things like that, and really looking at the process and some of the players in the upcoming draft. From but from a process perspective, you know how how do teams and how do you go about? building out your final boards and, and how that process goes leading into the draft. Yeah. So I think every team scouts have, you know, a pretty good idea going through the year of where guys fall on their list. And they usually have a mid season, a mid season list. And then they come up with, you know, another list once all the games are done. And then as you get closer to the draft, you bring in your, your hockey executive and you meet with your scouts as a group and that's when you hammer out 
each player on the list again, and there's some movement. Guys will fall, guys will go up or down, depending on, you know, the guys in the group that are willing to fight for them. Um, I wrote an article about, you know, you want fights. You want, you want your scouts to be aggressively standing up for the players they believe in so that you have some constructive arguments and you, you try to slot players in, you know, where they should be. Uh, and that's a good thing. It's not, it's not bad to have uh, arguments around the table so that you can try to get to the right place and, you know, ultimately you land on a list. Sometimes it can go right up until the night before the draft when you're still shuffling people, you know, from spot nine to eight or mm-hmm. 26 to 25 or whatever. Well, and, you know, it's interesting when you talk to former scouts and, and former scouting directors and people involved in those processes. I mean, they all love it. Like that, the, the the eclectic nature of it, you know, kind of you know, st- standing on the table for your guys, debating, getting passionate about it. I would imagine and when you're kind of viewing that, it's it's pretty cool to see that in real time, isn't it? Because like you've outlined in your article on articles you mentioned in the past, I mean, these are scouts that have been put in months of work, years of work watching these guys, and they feel very, very passionate about the players they believe in. Absolutely, Sad. The draft is their moment, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they they see so many games during the year. They travel. They're they're in hotels in little towns. They're on the road. It's not it's not the it's not the lavish lifestyle that the NHL team leads with its charter jets and things. They're, they're going to little towns and, and watching a lot of, you know, whether it's CHL or NCAA or Europe, um, you know, they're seeing a lot of games. And then when they get an opportunity to, to stand there and, and put it all in line and, and put their guys on the list and, and try to fight for where on the list those guys fall, that's, you know that that's why they get paid. That's what they're there for, and they have to they have to try to make the right call. And um, collectively, as a group, you know they they try to get to the right place through those conversations. And you've got your crossover scouts who have seen the different regions, while a lot of your scouts have only seen the region they focus on. And so it's up to the the, the crossover guys and, and maybe the scouting director to synthesize the information and and make sure that everybody's heard, and then come up with a decision and. Yeah, it's a it's a great time of year. It's fun to watch them uh, through that process. Well, and and you know the amateur and pro scouting meetings happen uh, generally around the same time, and you know there, I guess a lot of planning for free agency, but also uh, you know for the draft because as we know the draft is also trade season now. It's it's more of a trade deadline. It seems like the trade deadline during during the year. Um, how, how does the pro scouting process go around this time of year? Yeah, well, it's quite a different process because with the amateur scouting, you're trying to project what a you know 17 or 18 year old player might look like in the future. Whereas pro scouting, you're generally looking at a fully formed product that's playing in another city, and you're trying to assess whether they would be a good fit on your team. Um, you know, and the pro scouts they typically are talking to lots of people in other cities and finding out you know, not just how the player plays, but what he might be like as a guy, how does he fit in a, in a dressing room dynamic, whether that player is going to be a good fit for you, not only on the ice, but, but in the room where chemistry is so important. So, you know, as, as a front office, you're so hyper-focused on your team and your division, and you only get to see the Eastern teams in particular, you know, twice a year. So you really do need to rely heavily on your pro scouts who are watching games from all those teams uh, you know, multiple times per year. 
Well, and, and is that kind of similar in the sense of, you know, there's that opportunity for you guys to kind of build your pro scouting list and know which guys to go after and, you know, guys feeling strongly about who to go after too, in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have, um, you have guys from different regions that focus on, on different divisions and they'll put together lists of guys that they feel strongly about. And then you bring it to the table with the other scouts who have different guys. And then you, similarly to the amateur process, you may have fights about who fits better and who should be targeted. And then, you know, on top of all that, you've also got the cap implications and term and, and things like that to worry about. And that's where, you know, you need your front office to get involved and you want your, you want your scouts to just focus on the playing style and the playing fit. And then management needs to worry about the cap and the term and the other things, right? You don't want to burden them with trying to make assessments of a player based on his cap hit. You want them to just purely focus on is the player a stylistic fit. When planning for, for free agency, is it, um, you know, these are the guys we want to go out and get or, you know, is there plan A, B, and C? Are you sending out feelers to multiple players at the same time? I mean, how just how crazy is that July 1st scenario? I guess it depends for each team where they're at in their life cycle. Um, right. But you definitely do have, you know, a, an A list and then probably a, a secondary list of players that you would target if, if the A list doesn't pan out. Um, but certainly you, you determine through the pro scouting process which players uh, you, you want to target and you think are, are the best fits or the best, you know, solutions for gaps you have on your team. And then if those don't work out, you, you do need to move to, you know, people that might be lower on your list or, you know, at some point do you say, okay, we're, we're not going to pursue this anymore and we're going to look from within or we're going to, you know, acquire a player through trade instead of free agency. So you have to you have to run those scenarios and sort of prioritize, you know, when and how you'll, you'll look to the free agent market. Well, and in one market the Canucks are trying to kind of have success in right now is the undrafted player market and Andre Kuzmenko, who you know they're meeting with today and met with yesterday in hopes of trying to sign. And these these types of players are a different challenge, kind of similar to the NCAA free agents, where it's an entry level contract being signed, but the player has a lot of control into where he wants to go. But Kuzmenko is a bit different because obviously twenty six years old, one year to eat to until unrestricted free agency. When you're trying to say woo a guy like that, what what's the process like when you're going after a player of that nature? I think for players, it's it's all about the the long term opportunity they see. So it's not about a short term fix. It's about do they see themselves being a contributor on this team for years to come? So you know, it's funny when we were. I remember we were trying to sign Drake Kajula in that situation, and he ended up signing with Edmonton. And the rumor was that, you know, Edmonton told him he was going to play with McDavid and Drysaddle. And we said, well, they, they say that to everyone. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you, you want to sell the player on the opportunity, but you, you try to be reasonable too and, and give them, not give them false hope about where they fit in. I think there are some teams that will say, oh, you're guaranteed to be a top six. And, you know, the player gets there and then they're, they're getting fourth line minutes or they're put to the AHL team. So, you know, our our philosophy when I was there was always to, to give a realistic viewpoint and, and that the honesty of the situation was that, hey, if, if you perform, you're going to play those minutes, but our goal is to get you over here and develop you properly and make sure that over the long term, 
you know, you do turn into the player you're supposed to be. So it's usually blue water though. That's like the, the place, <laughs> the place to go or. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've got a few restaurants that they can uh, have at their disposal. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, Chris gear joining us here on, uh, on Canuck central. You know, uh, we've seen the Canucks uh, really beef up their their player development department. I know I saw you tweeting about it and, and just what it could mean to to get players into the organization and have Hank and Danny working with them. Um, this Hank and Danny, like they've, they've done so much through their careers as players. Do you see them as being you know guys that could really work in a player development role now? Well, I don't see why not. I mean, if you're a player and Hank and Danny come down and want to help you, I mean, how good is that? I mean, how could you not want to take advantage of, of that opportunity? So, you know, I remarked that when the Canucks signed um, a couple of Swedes, uh, Amon and Johansson, two, two players that hadn't been signed by the team that drafted them, you know, that, that could be somewhat of a, of a skeptical approach, but because they have this, beefed up player development department, um, not only with, um, with Hank and Danny, but with uh, Michael Samuelson and um, uh, Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's a big opportunity to say, Hey, you know what, there's, there's a couple of players who maybe hadn't hit their potential yet, but through enhanced player development and, and more hands on deck, maybe we can get these players uh, to where they, to where the teams hoped they were when they drafted them. So I, I think it's, um, I think it should be interesting to watch to see whether the, the added manpower actually translates into that kind of, those kinds of results. Uh, now, Chris, uh, we saw some news today that uh, John Tortorella is going to be the next coach of the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. And, and your role, obviously, within the organization was a lot different when John Tortorella was here, but you were still part of the organization um, what was it like that year, kind of from afar, seeing, you know, Torts getting hired and everything happened? We talked to Yannick Hansen just before we had you on, and he gave us the player's perspective of what it was like being in the middle of all, of all that last year. What was it like for you seeing that from within the organization, from afar, albeit? Yeah, I mean, I, I did Torts' contract, and then I don't think I saw him again, you know, for a whole bunch of time. Mm-hmm. The, the couple of times that I did have interactions with him, uh, and I think this was backed up by most people that, that got to meet him. I mean, away from the bench, this guy is a super sweet human being, like just a really, really nice guy, uh, you know, has his animal charities and, and wants to talk to people and get to know people and just super guy. And then he gets behind the bench and there's this whole other persona that's, you know, a little bit crazy at times. And obviously the, uh, you know, the the line clearing brawl that we had with Calgary, that just kind of tainted the whole the whole season, but, um, you know, it was always interesting with torts and everybody around the office was always, uh, fascinated by, by what was going around, uh, the office when, whenever he was there. So, you know, he had, he had the, the bed installed in the coach's room because sometimes he'd, uh, yeah. <laughs> work late and plop down on the bed. And yeah, it was, it was always interesting with torts. Yeah, it, I mean, and certainly covering the team at the time, there was a lot to talk about with Torts being here. Uh, and, and before we let you go, uh, you know, there's been a lot of restructuring happening, obviously, as you know, with the Canucks organization. And today we got the news that Chris Brum, Brumwell, who's been part of the communications team for over 18 years, is no longer with the organization. Uh, I know we all have nothing but great things to say with our interactions from Chris. What was it like working with Chris and uh, what are your thoughts on everything? Yeah, I, I got to work with Chris um, 
both at Vanock when he was there, we were both part of the, the 2010 organizing committee. And then for 10 of my 12 years at the Canucks, uh, Brummer was there as well. And, you know, he's just one of the finest, most well-respected, well-liked, reliable, trusted, ethical guys you could ever want to work with. And, you know, I, I tweeted out today, if, if there's um, it, whatever bad culture is, he's the opposite of it. Like he is just a great person to have in an organization and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to comment on, on what's, you know, what, what led to it or what's going on there. But, you know, I just, I support Chris fully and think he's a, a super guy. So, uh, but he'll, he'll land on his feet and he'll find something great. And that's what great people do. So, um, yeah, just, uh, just sorry to see him go, but, but I know that he'll, he'll do great things. Chris, uh, always enjoy our chats. Uh, really appreciate the insights and, uh, we keep looking forward to seeing your work at daily Faceoff. Okay, hey guys, thanks for having me on. There is uh, Chris Gear at Van Gearman on uh, Twitter, former AGM with the Vancouver Canucks. It's uh, with with Torts signing in Philadelphia. It's been kind of a tell your stories about Torts Day here on uh, on Canuck Central Sat. It really has been, and you know, uh, Germinder, Germinder, the mortgage uh, specialist. Uh, was texting in with us a bit earlier and talking about you know the time Gillis was here and everything that happened with Torts and you know it, it's. It's no secret that Torts and Gillis did not get along, and at the time back then, this is twenty, you know, fourteen. Yeah, well, uh, Gillis didn't necessarily want Torts as his next. Head no, coach. it wasn't a Torts hire. I yeah. mean, it wasn't a Gillis hire. The yeah. John Tortorella thing, and um, a lot of things happened. And especially like the the Heritage Classic, like Yannick mentioned, was the end of it for um, Roberto Luongo when he got traded. But it was also really the moment I think it became clear for Gillis that this was not going to work. Like that was something they didn't want to see happen, the Luongo yeah. thing. They were not on board with it, but ownership did not give him the free freedom to make any changes behind the bench. They had just signed him, so their hands were very much tied. It was a five-year deal for Torts, too. Yeah, it was a big deal, you know? So it, it, there was not, not much the GM could do. So um, I was producing the morning show at the time with Jake and Dave hosting it. Yeah. And... Uh, the now you know infamous Gillis interview, which essentially led to his firing, was on that show. So he he essentially said, long story short, like it's either me or Torts make a decision, and I'm not going to be a yes man to ownership anymore. Th- yeah. That was essentially what he said over a you know ten minute interview yeah. or whatever. And before we got him on, however, you got to re- you got to remember that back then there was so much heat on Mike Gillis. There was like you know people were chanting for him. Now the chanting thing happened more, but people wanted him out. There was a lot of vitriol being directed at Mike Gillis. And, uh, you know, the guys on the show asked me, he's like, hey, I want to make a joke with him. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make a joke about, is he scared to turn on his car in the morning? <laughs> and I'm like, guys, like, come oh, on. like, you real, know? real funny. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. I'm, I'm like, all right. I'm like, no, just ask him. See if it's okay. If, if he doesn't want to yeah. do it, hey, we don't do it. But ask him off air. I'm like, all right. I asked Mike. I'm like, you know, the, the guys want to make this joke. One beat, two beats, three beats. As you can tell by my reaction, that's hilarious. I'm dying <laughs> laughing. I'm like, all right, we won't ask that question. Don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> that's incredible. What a thing to say. What a thing to ask. If you guys ever ask me to do something like that, I'm going to say I did it and, <laughs> and then not, not do it. it. Yeah. See, in, in hindsight, I probably should have just been like, you know what? He said no. Just, just no, it's not happening. <laughs> but it was great working with those guys. That's not a slight yeah, at, yeah. at Jake and Dave in any sort of way. It's just kind of funny in hindsight because, you know, once you heard the interview, you could tell that Gillis had a agenda you could yeah. tell like he was serious he, he had a message to get across and it was very much like i dare you guys to fire me 
And it's like, and we were kind of like going to joke around and make light of the situation a little bit, take the heat off, and he was having none of it. Uh, we've got the mailbag coming up here on Canuck Central. You can keep asking your questions. I see Silver and Black Canuck getting in one at the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. If you're listening live, try to get your texts and your questions in as quickly as possible. Uh, Producer Josh has already screened a bunch of them, so we appreciate you getting them in early, but still try to get some in, and maybe, just maybe, we can fit it in for Mailbag Friday. It's coming up next on Canuck Central.